Morning. morning. Welcome to Catalyst. Glad you're here. This morning, uh, before service started, I, um, I had a chance to speak with one of the staff, and uh, he was telling me that, um, you know, quite a few of the staff here at, at Stanford, they've suffered loss. There's been death in their families recently, and so that kind of struck me, and so um, I want us to do something this morning real quick before I start the message. You know, as um, God's sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, as his heirs, as, as Peter says in the, in the Bible, we are his priests, we have authority. Okay, we have authority on, in his name to act on his behalf, so I want us just to do something this morning, so if you would um, just join in and stand with me. And I'm going, to have, I'm going to just have us to make a declaration this morning. And so, um, and I want you to declare this. I, you, you could just repeat after me. But I want you to de- declare this. I want us to declare this from our spirit. All right, from our spirit. Because the Bible in Romans, right, it says, the spirit brings life, the flesh brings death. And so you might think, well, what does that mean? How do I speak out of my spirit? Basically, you just, in your mind, tell yourself, I am going to speak out of my spirit, in alignment with my spirit. That's all. You just focus yourself to be in alignment with your spirit that's made alive in Jesus Christ, right? And so out of our spirit, we want to make this declaration. So you can just repeat after me, all right? In the name of Jesus, I speak speak, and I declare declare life, life, life over this campus. Life over the faculty. Life over the staff. Life over the students. And their families. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, you can have a seat. Well, this morning I have up here with me one of the best selling books in all of history. It's got to be one of the, it is one of the best selling, it has sold over 32 million copies, and it has been printed in over 50 languages. I understand it's actually licensed in over 85 countries in the world. And do you know what this book is? It is the Purpose Driven Life. <laughs> I think the Bible is actually the best-selling book in all history. But it is The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, all right? He's a pastor of Saddleback Church, right, in Saddleback. And um, it was published in 2002, and it is still going strong. Now, just why have so many people but this book. Why has it sold so many copies? Well, it's very interesting that when you opened this book, the very, very first line of this book, of this best-selling, one of the best-selling books in history, the, the very first line, the very first paragraph might surprise you since it is one of the best-selling books in history. This is the very first words in this book. It's not about you. It's not, 
the best one of the 32 million. That's what it says. The very first. It's not about you. And he goes on to say in the first paragraph, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. 32 million copies. And all these people know there's a hunger inside. And all these people, it's speaking to them, resonating with them that life is not about you. Not about you. Today, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, I believe there is a call to center our lives more and more around God and not around us, not around our pleasures, not around our fulfillment, not around our happiness, but to center our lives around God. So if you have our Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. If you need a Bible, do we have, do the ushers have Bibles? Ushers have Bibles, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Although I actually am using the New Living Translation, the Bible here is a New International Version. Um, you can use your phone, but turn to Acts chapter 13. Before we get into it, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help us, give us grace to center our lives more around you and not around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read 1 to 4. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch, of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. So quite a collection we have here. Very different backgrounds, very diverse. That's the family of God, very diverse. Verse 2, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So here we have in Acts 13, a prayer meeting is going on. And in this meeting, they are praying, they are worshiping, and they are fasting together. And in the middle of their meeting, while they are worshiping the Lord and praying and fasting, in the middle of the meeting, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, if it started with one and was confirmed, but the Holy Spirit spoke to them. The Lord speaks to us. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord wants to speak to us today. So the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them, I'm calling out Paul and Barnabas. I'm setting them apart for a special work 
a special job, a special purpose that I have in mind for them. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal that God is calling these two men, Paul and Barnabas, he's calling them into their destiny. He's calling them into their purpose. He's calling them into a purpose-driven life. You know, at Catalyst, that's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. Our mission statement, the mission statement, if Catalyst, is to help people experience all they are created and called to be in Christ. Our mission as a church is to help people, to help people experience God's calling, God's purpose for their lives. That's our mission. You know, in, in society and in Christian circles today, I think discovering a person's destiny, discover your destiny, discover your purpose, find your life dream. I think that's a very popular popular teaching or theme today in society in general. What is your calling? What is your purpose in life? What were you designed for? I think that's pretty popular in, in society in general. And what you are called to be, that certainly is a big deal. I, I better believe in it as a pastor of the church because that's our mission, right? I better believe it. that is a big deal. That's important. It is our mission. However, however, I believe that there is a bigger question for us than what are you called to be? There is a bigger question than what are you called to be? And the question is this. Who is calling you? Who is calling you is the bigger question than what you are called to be. Where is your calling? Where is your dream? Where is your sense of purpose in life coming from? What is the source of your dream? What is the source of your calling? Who is calling you? You know, sometimes I think we get so wrapped in what is my purpose? What is my dream? What do I want to fulfill? We get so wrapped in the what that we forget about the who. We forget about who is doing the calling. Who is calling us? Let's say one day, okay, let's just imagine one day you're with a friend and your friend gets a phone call. And so they answer the phone call, and they're, you know, uh-huh, yeah, oh, really, yeah, yeah. And, and they're talking on the phone for, for a while, and they're getting more and more excited more as the conversation they're having goes on. They're getting more, and, and all of a sudden they hang up the phone, and they look at you and say, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I have the biggest opportunity of, of my life. They're going to give me, they're going to give me all the resources I need. They're going to give me whatever I require to be successful. They say they're going to have 24-7 support and encouragement of me 
It's a dream of a lifetime. And then you turn to your friend and say, well, who, who was calling you? Who was it? And they say, a solicitor. <laughs> They're offering me the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, what would you say to that? Exciting what? Lousy who? Who, right? Who is doing the calling makes a huge difference. Let's say you have that same scenario. Let's say they're getting excited. Let's say all this happens. They hang up the phone. And they say, oh my gosh, I have the, the biggest opportunity of a lifetime. And you say, who was it I was calling you? And they look at you and they say, Jeff Bezos, the CEO and founder of Amazon. You would be like, oh my gosh, that's a big deal, right? Jeff Bezos, one of the most powerful, one of the richest men on earth. And he said this to you, go, yeah. Who makes a huge difference? Now let's take it one step further. What if they have the same scenario? What if the person hangs up the phone? What if they say, I have the greatest opportunity of a lifetime? You say, who is it calling you? Who was on the phone? They say, almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that holds everything in the palm of his hands. He, is, he has a job for me. He has a call. He's called me for a special purpose. I'm sorry, Jeff Bezos, but you are like dust compared to Almighty God. You see, it all starts with the who. It's all about the who. It doesn't start with us. It's not about us so much. It's about, it's about him. You know the word called? The word called in, in this passage, they, that it says the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas. It means called unto himself. So the Holy Spirit, he doesn't call them for a mission. He calls them to him, and he, the Holy Spirit God, sends them out. That's the focus. It's not about my dream, my calling, my abilities, my purpose. It's God's dream for me, God's calling for me, God's purpose for me. Mark Twain has a great quote. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. That's an amazing quote. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. God, according to the word, has a purpose, a specific purpose, a calling for your life. For your life. Don't you think that's one of the most important questions we need to answer for ourselves? What is God's calling 
for my life. Think about this. At the end of your life, what would you rather have? What would you rather be able to say at the end of your life? Would you rather be able, would you rather want to say, I fulfilled my dream in life. I fulfilled my calling, what I wanted to do in life. Or would you want to say, I fulfilled God's dream for my life. I fulfilled God's purpose for my life. And I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with the God I love, who saved me, who loves me, and the God I worship. I have an action step for you. If this resonates with you, just one action step, one first step to take on your pursuit of God's calling for your life. It's just this. Go talk to someone that you respect spiritually and ask them, just ask them for their take. What, what is their perception about God's calling for your life? Now, you have to discern it. It's part of a process. But that's a good first step. Go to someone that knows you. Go to someone that you respect spiritually and just say, you know, what do you think? You know, Pastor Bear talked about finding God's purpose. Well, what do you think might be God's purpose for me? And just engage in a dialogue. That's a great first step. Let's go on. Verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salmas, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Assistant, Talk about a great evangelistic strategy. We'll just go into the Jewish synagogues and talk about Jesus. Verse 6, afterward they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Right here I have a map. You can put the map up. So Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, right? And so we see on the bottom right, Antioch, Seleucia, and then they sail to the island of Cyprus, okay? And they first go to Salmas and then down to Paphos, okay? So they're in the island of Cyprus. Verse 7, he had attracted himself, attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Alamus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, they're called by the Holy Spirit, and they, the Holy Spirit sends them off, and they go off on their first journey to share the good news. Okay, the first missionary trip. And, and they're, doing, they're doing great. Things are rolling along. They're going to the synagogues. They're, they're talking about Jesus and preaching the good news about Jesus. And it's going good. And they even meet the governor of this island of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus. They meet the governor, the head man on the island. And he wants to hear their teaching. He wants to hear them speak about Jesus. So everything's going to good except they run into an obstacle, right? They run 
into opposition. They run into Bar Jesus. Dun, 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 right? Bar Jesus. They run into Bar Jesus who's opposing them. Now, what I want to focus in on here is this. There are people and there are powers in this world that are opposed to God, that are opposed to Jesus, that are opposed to the Holy Spirit, that are opposed to the ways of God, that are opposed to Christianity and opposed to the gospel. There are people and powers operating in this world in opposition. And this boy Jesus, I, I don't think he wasn't any doofus, right? He's not, he, he was a person of importance because the governor was giving him a respect. He was like the, the counselor to the governor of Cyprus. So I believe it says he was a magician. He was a sorcerer. I believe he actually wielded spiritual power. That's what got the attention of the governor. The governor's a spiritual man. Obviously, he's a spiritual man. And something about Bar-Jesus caught his attention so much so that he would elevate this magician, this sorcerer, to be a trusted advisor. You know, magic, dark powers, the occult, it's real. It is real, and it contains real power. And I know, I know that are probably many of us here in somewhere along our life or our history, there's many of us here at one time or another have dabbled in the occult. Have experimented with the occult. Have gone to psychics have gone to palm readers, have gone used tarot cards, have gone to spiritual healers, have followed superstitions and superstitious ways, had looked at the horoscope, all kinds of stuff. I know, I know, many here have engaged in those kinds of things. Let me just say this plainly. That's not good. Those things, all of those things, they're not good. They're not good. It, they are not of the Lord. It is not good for your spiritual life. I can't say it any plainer of that than that. And let me also say this. Even if something works, even if it produces healing or good results, that doesn't mean it is good. Because there's legitimate power in those things. There are dark powers that can produce different types of healing, different types of miracles, 
different types of signs, different types of insights. But the question is, what is the source of those powers? Because ultimately, if those powers are not rooted and sourced in God, the God of the Bible, Jesus, then ultimately, it's a trap that's trying to seek to get a foothold in your life, that's trying to create an opening in your heart and in your soul and in your mind that will eventually lead and take you away from the Lord. And the enemy guarantee you all those things, even though if it initially seems good, all those things are meant to open doors and footholds in your life so that the enemy in the future can afflict you, can cause you spiritual harm. What does it matter, the Bible says, if we gain the whole world but lose our soul? If I can have a little license, let me rephrase that. What does it matter if you gain some temporary earthly healing but lose your soul? What does it matter if you gain some temporary circumstantial relief but put your soul in danger. Let me just give you an action step. And I, I, I have engaged in some of those things in the past. I remember when, I, when we were younger, my cousins, they had a Ouija board, and we were doing a Ouija board, and let me tell you, some really strange things happened when we did that Ouija board. Some crazy, spooky stuff happened. When we did, I'm not going to give you details, but we were foolish. We were stupid. We were dumb. Right? And I got, got after that, when I got older, I realized that was so stupid. That was so dumb. I didn't know what I was doing. So um, I confessed. I repented. I got prayer for those things. You know? And so let me just tell you this. If you have engaged in any of this stuff, if there's a family history of people having engaged in that stuff, your parents, your relatives, your grandparents, do not ignore it. Because I believe there's those things, the enemy gets a little foothold and is influencing and affecting your life today. Could be through some of those things. And so I encourage you to deal with it. And the action step I have with you is sign up with one of our prayer ministry teams. PMT. You might hear, we, we've heard people talk about PMT, PMT, PMT. I always think when people say PMT, I go, everyone doesn't know what PMT means. All it means is prayer ministry team, PMT. Prayer. So sign All you have to do is go to our website, catalystchristiancommunity.org. Go to the prayer ministry section. You could just click, and you could just sign up. And the prayer people will... will. I, I believe this is, this is going to be an increasing issue. In fact, we're just like jo, Jody Nakamoto, right, and Rusan. They started a deliverance ministry to deal with some of these things. They're training people up right now. 
And so don't ignore that stuff. Don't ignore that. And they're, you know, the prayer ministries, I know all of them. I know all the leaders of the prayer ministry teams. They're awesome. They're so loving and sensitive and caring. They're not going to make you do anything crazy. And they're not going to do anything. That's what people think. People always think, I don't want to go. They're going to, you know, I know David even shared, right, when he gave a message. He thought, oh, they're going to uncover my deepest, darkest sins. And I don't want to do that. It's not like that. In fact, some of those fears are from the enemy. Because the enemy doesn't want you to get cleaned out. Close those doors. And so don't walk, run to the prayer ministry team. Start to take steps to deal with that stuff. Okay, let's go on. Verse 9. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hands of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, praise God, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul doesn't mess around here, does he? He doesn't mince words, right? There are times, and this was a time of telling the truth. We talk in a church about, you know, Pastor Sam talked about that, truth and grace. We need to walk holding both, truth and grace, right? Truth and grace. This was a time where it's all truth. It's all truth. Paul's going after it, right? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. At times, God calls us to stand and speak the truth. Stand for the truth and speak the truth. There are times God calls us to do that. And this is an area I personally, I need to grow in. Because I don't like confrontation. I grew up in a family and in the culture that confrontation is like one of the worst things you could do. Make people feel uncomfortable, that's bad. Shame on you. So it's very difficult. I'm trying to grow in that area. I'm trying to grow. I've, I've been through red been in groups, I've been through Kylo four times. And I'm going a fifth time when we start the Kylo groups. I need to grow in that area. I need to grow in this area, and Kylo will help. But the days are coming and are upon us when knowing the truth and being able to stand firmly 
on the truth will be more critical than ever. Those days are upon us. A key question that all of us have to answer, a key question all, we, all of us have to answer is this. What is our go-to source for truth? We have to decide in our minds and have conviction about where is my source of truth? Where am I going to get the truth? Because if we do not firmly determine that in our minds, we are going to be swept away like dandelion seeds. You know those little things as a kid you picked up and you just, and you blew it and they all just, blew. that's how we're going to be. That's how it's going to be. Those are the days that are upon us now. There are so many opinions out there today. So much chatter out there today. So many purported sages of truth. Everyone has a personal platform. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Everyone has a platform. And everyone believes it's their God-given right and license to speak out their opinion. And they know what's right. And in the midst of all that, how are we going to discern what is true? How are we going to know what is right? Are we going to just go by what we think? That's the truth, what we think? What we feel? That's the truth? How it makes us feel inside? How, if they're our friend or not, that's the truth? Look at some of these verses here. I have some verses here. I had a lot more, but I had to cut it down. <laughs> Let me just read them for you. First Chronicles 10, 13. Oh, I skip. That, that was about, that was about, let me just read this. This just had to do with the witchcraft thing, the sorcery, the engaging in souls. Let me just read this. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Duh. Okay. <laughs> but this, and do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells, or function as mediums, that means connecting with the dead, or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. The penalty in the Old Testament, same God, penalty for these things, death. That's how strongly the Lord warns against those things. Okay, now let's go on. Okay, here are some statements having to do with the truth. For false, Matthew 24, 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. So in the end of days, there's going to be people that do great miracles in order to deceive. How are you going to know if it's true or not? 2 Timothy 4, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. 
They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Those days are upon us. Ephesians 4.14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. How are you going to discern? How are we going to know? How are we going to distinguish between this trickery, this false teaching, and real truth? Next one. 2 Timothy 3. And this, I just included this one because this, I believe this is talking about what the climate is going to be like. You tell me if I read this, you don't say, hey, that's what it is like today and growing worse. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Sound familiar? To me, that sounds like our culture today. And it's getting worse. Concerning the truth, God is absolutely, unequivocally definitive on this. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And his words are true. And God's written word is the truth. And we must be committed to God's word as the truth. Nothing else. That is the grounding. That is our source of truth. And if we're not grounded in the word, if we're not firm on the truth, of God's word and Jesus, we're going to just get swept away. Even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand or question what it says, even if it doesn't feel right or good to us, even if it flies in the face of what's happening with people or cho their choices or society or their lifestyles, we have to know where our source of truth comes from. And we have to be anchored in that. Anchored. And also, referring to the passage, as God's family... We need to learn and grow in speaking the truth in love to one another. Because we all have blind spots, right? We all have blind spots, and we need truth-tellers in our lives. I know, I'm, last week, I must have heard at least 10 or 12 times the name Marie Kondo. <laughs> I heard her name over and over 
she has a Netflix show, Tidying Up. In fact, my wife, she's hurt and she wanted us to watch it, so I watched an episode with her. And it's basically, she has a system, she's this Japanese woman, she has a system of organizing and tidying up, and it's become a craze. I, I just, I read too, that was part of, I read about her, before I even knew what it was, I, I read about her, they said all of the, you know, like Goodwill and Salvation, they've gotten inundated by stuff. And so much, they're having financial crisis because they've got so much stuff and, you know, it rained and stuff became mildewed and rotted and they have to hire workers. They just got inundated. People are dumping their junk and everything because they're doing Maria Kondo method <laughs> to get rid of their stuff. One of the first lessons she has, the people do, while she goes into the house, one of her methods, she has you take all, every piece of clothing you have and put it on your bed. Every, and it's amazing. So they're piling up their clothes on the bed. You know what that is? Truth. <laughs> Being confronted with truth. No one ever says, oh my gosh, I have a lot less clothes than I thought. <laughs> they are all shocked. It's truth serum. You know why? You know why we need the truth? Because it's so easy for us to be in denial that we don't want to face the truth about what's going on, about reality, about who, who we are, about how we're treating people. About We don't want to hear the truth. And so sometimes we need, a lot of times, we need truth serum. This is like the pile of clothing on your bed. And the Spirit of God uses this to bring us into alignment with the way of life. Now, full disclosure, with Maria Kondo, gotta be discerning. Gotta be discerning. Did you know about her? She had a profound experience when she was in like junior high. She loved tidying up. In fact, when they would play in research, she wanted to go in their teacher's office room and clean the, clear, organize the books. One time she went in there and she said she had like a nervous breakdown. She fainted. And while she had fainted, when she was like half asleep, half awake, she said she heard a voice. And she said it was like the God of tidying. And the voice spoke to her. The voice spoke to her and, and pointed some things out. She was a, an attendant at a Shinto shrine for five years. She brings in a lot of spiritual stuff that is not from the Lord. And we hear that God of tithing, ha, 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 You know, the enemy could mask himself as anything. That voice, I know, that voice was not the voice of the Lord. That was not the voice. So we have to be discerning. Even if we, maybe we could take some good things from it, but we need to be discerning. We need to know the truth. Let me just close with this. Let me close with this. So three areas that I believe are in this passage, Acts 13, 1 to 12, three things, three areas, about centering our lives back on God. It's seek 
God's calling for our life. It's live by God's way, right? The truth of his word. And commit to God's truth, right? Commit to God's truth. Now, let me just give you three action steps and close. And I want to encourage you to choose one of these three that you'll work on. Let me show it. Let's show it. Number one, like I said, ask someone you respect about your possible calling. Go to someone and say, hey, I'd like, I'd like to get your opinion, your perspective on what do you think might be God's calling for my life? Ask someone. Second excerpt, sign up for a prayer ministry team. Go to our website, sign up. If you have dealt with, dabbled in some occult, some, you know, some of that stuff, address it. Or three, sign up for Kylo. Kylo class starting at the end of, uh, end of February helps us to be able to speak the truth in loving ways to one another. And or, if you know you have someone, that you, someone has something against you or you have something against someone else, go directly to the person. Don't go through someone else. Don't complain to someone else. Don't try to get someone else, a third party, to do your dirty work for you. You go directly to that person. You know what that is? Truth. Because the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. We are terrible at this. And that's one of those truth things. He says, don't use a third party. Either go to that person directly or genuinely let it go from your heart. That's gone. I'm not going to hold that offense. I'm, I can put that away. One or the other. Don't go to third parties. God wants us to center our lives around him. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, you are our savior, our friend. You are the lover of our souls. You delight in us. You treasure us. You forgive us for every single thing we have ever done, will do. You give abundant grace over anything or and everything. But Lord, you are master. You are boss. You are Lord. You are king. You are our commanding officer. And you have all authority. And so Lord, it's so true. It is not about us. And life cannot be found in us. Life can only be found in you. And we only could experience life as we submit our wills, our minds, our emotions to you. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us take steps, one step at a time, to center every aspect of our lives around you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.